Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 28 to 29 and in the previous episode we read chapters 27, 26 to 27. And in the previous episode we were following the group of Hazel, Frank, Piper, Jason, and Hazel. I think that was everybody. Hazel, Piper, Jason, Frank. Coach Hedge, Leo, on their way to the mortal side of the Doors of Death. So, but unfortunately, in their midst, they had encountered this trap to which now they must defeat Skyrim with the best that he could do. So we're going to see how exactly or exactly what Hazel's plan was as we we find out how they're going to outsmart him or how they're going to beat him. We're going to read chapter 28, Hazel. Finally, Skyron cried. That was much longer than two minutes. Sorry, Jason said. It was a big decision. Which foot? Hazel tried to clear her mind and imagine the scene through Skyron's eyes. What he desired, what he expected. That was the key to using the mist. She couldn't force someone to see the world her way. She couldn't make Skyron's reality appear less believable. But if she showed him what he wanted to see, well, she was a child of Pluto. She'd spend decades with the dead, listening to them yearn for past lives or only half-remembered, distorted by nostalgia. The dead saw what they believed they would see. So did the living. Pluto was the god of the underworld, the god of wealth. Maybe those two spheres of influence more connected than Hazel had realized. There wasn't much difference between longing and greed. If she could summon gold and diamonds, why not summon another kind of treasure? A vision of the world people wanted to see. Of course, she could be wrong. In which case, she and Jason were about to be turtle food. She rested her hands on her jacket pocket where Frank's magical firewood seemed heavier than usual. She wasn't carrying his lifeline now. She was carrying the lives of the entire crew. Jason stepped forward, his hands open in surrender. I'll go first. Skyron, I'll wash your left foot. Ha! <laughs> Excellent choice! Skyron wriggled the hairy, corpse-like toes. I may have stepped on something with that foot. It felt a little squishy inside my boot, but I'm sure you'll clean it properly. Jason's ears reddened. From the tension in his neck, Hazel could tell that he was tempted to drop the charade and attack. One quick slash with his imperial gold blade, but Hazel knew if he tried, he would fail. Skyron, she broke in, do you have water? So, how are you supposed to wash like this? Skyron spun his left flintlock, suddenly became a squirt bottle with a rag. He tossed it to Jason. Jason squinted at the label. You want me to wash your feet with glass cleaner? Of course not! Skyrim knit his eyebrows. It says multi-surface cleanser. My feet definitely qualify as multi-surface. Besides, it's antibacterial. I need that. Believe me, water won't do the trick on, trick on these babies. Skyrim wiggled his toes and more zombie cafe order wafted across the cliffs. Jason gagged. Oh, gods, no. Skyrim shrugged. You can always choose what's in my other hand. He after his right foot walk. You'll do it, Hazel said. Jason glared at her, but Hazel won the staring contest. Fine, he muttered. Excellent. Fine, he muttered. Excellent, now. 
scaring Hope to the nearest chunk of a limestone that was the right size for a footstool. He faced for the water and planted his foot, so he looked like some explorer who just claimed a new country. I'll watch the horizon while you scrub my scrub bunions. It'll be much more enjoyable. Yeah, Jason said. I bet. Jason knelt in front of the bandit, at the edge of the cliff where he was an easy target, one kick, and he toppled over. Hazel concentrated. She imagined she was Skyrim, the lord of bandits. She was looking down at a pathetic, blonde-haired kid who was no threat at all. Just another defeated demigod about to become his victim. In her mind, she saw what would happen. She summoned the mist, calling it from the depths of the horizon the way she did with gold or silver rubies. Jason squint and squirted the cleaning fluid. His eyes watered. He wiped Skyrim's big toe with his rag and turned aside to gag. Hazel could barely watch. When the kick happened, she almost missed it. Skyrim slammed his foot into Jason's chest. Jason tumbled backward over the edge, his arms flailing, screaming as he fell. When he was about to hit the water, the turtle rose up and swallowed him in one bite, then sank below the surface. Alarm bells sounded on the arc of the second. Hazel's friends scrambled on deck, manning the catapults. Hazel heard Piper wailing all the way from the ship. It was so disturbing, Hazel almost lost her focus. She forced her mind to split into two parts. One intensely focused on her task, one playing the role Skyrim needed to see. She screamed in outrage. What did you do? Oh, dear. Skyrim sounded sad, but Hazel got the impression he was hiding a grin under his bandana. That was an accident, I assure you. My friends will kill you now. They can try, Skyrim said. But in the meantime, I think I have time to wash my other foot. Believe me, my dear, my turtle is full now. It doesn't want you to. You'll be quite safe, unless you refuse. He leveled the flintlock pistol at her head. She hesitated, letting him see her anguish. She couldn't agree too easily, or he would have he wouldn't think she was beaten. Don't kick me, she said, half sobbing. His eyes twinkled. This was exactly what he expected. She was broken and helpless. Skyrim, the son of Poseidon, had won again. Hazel could hardly believe this guy had the same father as Percy Jackson. Then she remembered that Poseidon had a changeable personality, like the sea. Maybe his children reflected that. Percy was a child of Poseidon's better nature. Powerful, but gentle and helpful. The kind of sea that sped ships safely to distant lands. Skyrim was a child of Poseidon's other side. The kind of sea that battered relentlessly at the coastline until it crumbled away, or carried the innocents from shore and let them drown, or smashed ships and killed entire crews without mercy. She snatched up the spray bottle Jason had dropped. Skyron, she growled. Your feet are the least disgusting thing about you. His green eyes hardened. Just clean. She knelt, trying to ignore the smell. She shuffled, shuffled to one side, forcing Skyrim to adjust his stance. But she imagined that the sea was still at her back. She held that vision in her mind as she shuffled sideways again. Just get on with it, Skyrim said. Hazel suppressed a smile. She managed to turn Skyrim 180 degrees, but he saw, still saw the water in front of him. The rolling countryside at his back. She started to clean. Hazel had done some plenty of ugly work before. She cleaned the unicorn stables at Camp Jupiter. She'd filled and dug latrines for the lesion. This is nothing, she told herself. But it was hard not to retch when she looked at Skyron's toes. 
When the kid came, she flew backward, but she didn't go far. She landed out on her, on her butt in the grass a few yards away. Skyrim stared at her. But suddenly the world shifted. The illusion melted, leaving Skyrim totally confused. The sea was at his back. He'd only succeed in kicking Hazel away from the ledge. He lowered his flintlock. How? Stand and deliver, Hazel told him. Jason swooped out of the sky, right over her head, and body slammed the bandit over the cliff. Skyrim screamed as he fell, firing his flintlock wildly, but for once hitting nothing. Hazel got to her feet. She reached the cliff's edge in time to see the turtle lunge and snap Skyrim out of the air. Jason grinned. Hazel, that was amazing. Seriously. Hazel? Hey, Hazel! Hazel collapsed to her knees, suddenly dizzy. Distantly, she could hear her friends cheering from the ship below. Jason stood over her, but he was moving in slow motion, his outline blurry, his voice nothing but static. Frost crept around the rocks and grass around her. The rounds of ridges she'd summoned sank back into the earth. The mist swirled. What have I done? She thought in a panic. Something went wrong. No, Hazel, said a deep voice behind her. You have done well. She hardly dared to breathe. She only heard that voice once before, but she had replayed in her mind thousands of times. She turned and found herself looking up at her father. He was dressed in Roman style, his dark hair closed cropped, his pale, angular face clean-shaven, his tunic and toga were of black wool embroidered with threads of gold. The faces of tormented souls shifted in the fabric. The edge of his toga was lined with the crimson, crimson of a senator or a praetor. But the stripe rippled like a river of blood. On Pluto's ring finger was a massive opal, like a chunk of polished, frozen mist. His wedding ring, Hazel thought. But Pluto had never married Hazel's mother. Gods did not marry mortals. That, th- that ring would signify his marriage to Persephone. The thought made Hazel so angry she shook off her dizziness and stood. What do you want? She demanded. She hoped his tone or tone would hurt him, jab him for all the pain he'd caused her, but a faint smile played, played across his mouth. My daughter, he said. I am impressed. You have grown strong. No thanks to you, she wanted to say. She didn't take and she didn't want to take any pleasure in his compliment. But her eyes still prickled. I thought you made your god's reign capacitated, she managed. Your Greek and Roman personalities fighting against one another? We are, Pluto agreed. But you invoked me so strongly that you allowed me to appear, if only for a moment. I didn't invoke you. But even as she said it, she knew it wasn't true. For the first time, willingly, she'd embraced her lineage as a child of Pluto. She tried to understand her father's powers and use them to the fullest. When you came to my house in Epirus, Pluto said, you must be prepared. The dead will not welcome you, and the sorceress Pacify. Pacify? Hazel asked, and she realized that must be the woman's name. She will not be fooled as easily as Skyrim. Pluto's eyes glittered like volcanic stone. You succeeded in your first test, but Pacify intends to rebuild her domain which will endanger all demigods unless you stop her at the house of hades his form flickered for a moment he was bearded in greek robes with a golden laurel wreathed in his hair 
Around his feet, skeletal hands broke through the earth. The god gritted his teeth and scowled. His Roman form stabilized. The skeletal hands dissolved went back into the earth. We didn't have much time. He looked like a man who'd just violently been ill. Know that the doors of death are at the lowest level of the Necromancheon. You must make Pasiphae see what she wants to see. You are right. That is the secret to all magic, but it will not be easy when you are in her maze. What do you mean? What maze? You will understand, he promised. In Hazel Levesque, you will not believe me, but I am proud of your strength. Sometimes... Sometimes the only way I can care for my children is to keep my distance. Hazel bit back an insult. Pluto was just another deadbeat godly dad making weak excuses, but her heart pounded as she replayed his words, I am proud of your strength. Go to your friends, Pluto said. They will be worried. The journey to Epirus still holds many perils. Wait, Hazel said. Pluto raised an eyebrow. When I met Thanatos, she said, you know, death. He told me I wasn't on your list of rogue spirits to capture. He said maybe that's why you were keeping your distance. If you acknowledged me, you'd have to take me back to the underworld. Pluto waited. What is your question? You're here. Why don't you take me to the underworld? Return me to the dead. Pluto's form started to fade. He smiled, but Hazel couldn't tell if he was sad or pleased. Perhaps that is not what I want to see, Hazel. Perhaps... I was never here. And that's the end of chapter 28. Well, that was definitely fascinating. I think we're slowly starting to see uh, a development with Hazel being one of the leaders now, now that Percy and Annabeth were both gone. And she's doing pretty well at it. She's able, She was able to defeat Skyrim. And now with the upcoming sorceress that will apparently guard the doors of the, the doors, or Epirus, as we'd like to say. It'll be interesting to see how Hazel's going to fare up against her. Is it going to be the same exact thing again? Or is she going to have to take a different approach? We'll have to see after the break when we continue to read. But not this time from Hazel's perspective or Frank's or Jason's. But rather from, from Tartarus itself. We'll be coming back reading chapter 29. Percy. So see you after the break. And we're back from the ads. And now we're going to read chapter 29, Percy. Percy was relieved when the demon grandmothers closed in for the kill. Sure, he was terrified. He didn't like the odds of three against several dozen. But at least he understood fighting. Wandering through the darkness, waiting to be attacked. That had been driving him crazy. Besides, he and Annabeth had fought together many times, and now they had a titan on their side. Back off. Percy jabbed Riptide at the nearest shriveled hag, but she only sneered. We are the Auri, said that weird voiceover, like the entire force was speaking. You cannot destroy us. Annabeth pressed against his shoulder. Don't touch them. Don't touch them, she warned. They're the spirits of curses. Bob doesn't like curses, Bob decided. The skeleton's kitten, small Bob, disappeared under, inside his coveralls. Smart cat. The titan swept his broom in a wide arc, forcing the spirits back, but they came in again like the tide. We serve the bitter and the defeated, said the Arai. 
We serve the slain who prayed for vengeance with their final breath. We have many curses to share with you. The firewater in Percy's stomach started crawling up his throat. He wished Tartarus had better beverage options, or maybe a fruit tree that dispensed antacid fruit. I appreciate the offer, he said, but my mom told me not to accept curses from strangers. The nearest demon lunged, her claws extended like bony switchblades. Percy cut her in two, but as soon as she vaporized, the sides of his chest flared with pain. He stumbled back, clamping his hand to his ribcage. His fingers came away with wet and red. Percy, you're bleeding, Ambeth cried, which was kind of obvious to him at that point. Oh, gods, on both sides. It was true. The left and right hems of his tattered shirt were sticky with blood as if a javelin had run him through. Or an arrow. Cuisinus has almost knocked him over. Vengeance, a curse from the slain. He flashed back to an encounter in Texas two years ago, a fight with a monstrous rancher who could only be killed if each of his three bodies was cut through simultaneously. Garion, Percy said, this is how I killed him. The spirits bared their fangs, more arai leaped from the black trees, flapping their leathery wings. Yes, they agreed. Feel the pain you inflicted upon Garion. So many curses have been leveled at you, Percy Jackson. Which will you die from? Choose or we'll rip you apart. Somehow, he stayed on his feet. The blood stopped spreading, but he still felt like he had a hot metal curtain rod sticking through his ribs. His sword arm was heavy and weak. I don't understand, he muttered. Bob's voice seemed to echo from the end of a long tunnel. If you kill one, it gives you a curse. But if we don't kill them... Annabeth said, They'll kill us anyway, Percy guessed. Choose, there I cried. We'll be crushed, crushed like Compey, or disintegrated like the young Telkines you slaughtered under Mount St. Helens. You've spread so much death and suffering, Percy Jackson. Let us repay you. The winged hags pressed in, their breath sour, their eyes burning with hatred. Their eye, their, They looked like furies, but Percy decided these things were even worse. At least the three Furies were under the control of Hades. These things were wild, and they just kept multiplying. If they really embodied the dying curses of every enemy Percy had ever destroyed, Percy was in serious trouble. He'd faced a lot of enemies. One of the demons lunged at Annabeth. Instinctively, she dodged. He, she brought her rock down on the old lady's head and broke her into dust. It wasn't like Annabeth had a choice. Percy would have done the same thing, but instantly, Annabeth dropped her rock and cried in alarm. I I can't see, she touched her face, looking round wildly. Her eyes were pure white. Percy ran to her side as the Arai cackled. <laughs> Polyphemus. Polyphemus cursed you when you tricked him with your invisibility in the sea of monsters. You called yourself nobody. He could see, not see you. Now you will not see your attackers. I've got you, Percy promised. He put his arm around Annabeth, but as the Arai advanced, he didn't know how he could protect either of them. A dozen demons sleeped from every direction, but Bob yelled, Sweep! His broom whooshed over Percy's head. The entire Arai offensive line toppled backward like bowling pins. More surged forward. Bob whacked one over the head and speared another, blasting them to dust. The others backed away. 
Percy held his breath, waiting for their Titan friend to be laid low with some terrible curse, but Bob seemed fine. A massive, slivery bodyguard keeping death at bay with the world's most terrifying cleaning implement. Bob, you okay? Percy asked. No curses? No curses for Bob, Bob agreed. The Arise snarled and circled, eyeing the broom. The Titan is already cursed. Why should we torture him further? You, Percy Jackson, have already destroyed his memory. Bob's spearhead dipped. Bob, don't listen to them, Annabeth said. They're evil. Time slowed. Percy wondered if the spirit of Kronos was somewhere nearby, swirling in the darkness, enjoying this moment so much that he wanted it to last forever. Percy felt exactly like he had at 12 years old, battling Ares on that beach in Los Angeles. The shadow of the Titan Lord had first passed over him. Bob turned. His wild white hair looked like an exploded halo. My memory. It was you? Curse him, Titan! The Arai urged, their uh, red eyes gleaming. Add to our numbers! Percy's heart pressed against his spine. Bob, it's a long story. I didn't want you to be my enemy. I tried to make you a friend. By sealing your life, the Arai said, leaving you in the palace of Hades to scrub floors. Ameth gripped Percy's hand. Which way? She whispered, if we have to run. He understood. If Bob wouldn't protect them, their only chance was to run. But that wasn't any chance at all. Bob, listen. He tried again. The Arai want you to get angry. They spawn from bitter thoughts. Don't give them what, you, what they want. We are your friends. Even as he said it, Percy felt like a liar. He'd, felt he'd left Bob in the underworld and hadn't given him a thought since. What made them friends? The fact that Percy needed him now? Percy always hated it when the gods used him for their errands. Now Percy was treating Bob the same way. You see his face? The Rai growled. The boy cannot even convince himself. Did he visit you after he stole your memory? No, Bob murmured. His lower lip quivered. The other one did. Percy's thoughts moved sluggishly. Is the other one? Nico, Bob scowled at him, his eyes full of hurt. Nico visited. Told me about Percy. Said Percy was good. That he was a friend. That is why Bob helped. But Percy's voice disintegrated like someone had hit it with a celestial bronze blade. He never had felt so low and dishonorable. So unworthy of having a friend. The Arai attacked. And this time, Bob did not stop them. That's the end of chapter 29. That definitely, not the best ending, especially for Percy and Annabeth, but in all honesty, I think that Percy realizing how he's been treating Bob this entirety is something that's really important to highlight. I think that, you know, just because Percy and Annabeth are demigods, that doesn't mean that every monster or titan that gives them respect deserves to be treated any less than them. Just because they're a monster, they're still living. Especially if they're good, like someone like Bob. He doesn't deserve to be treated as if he w- he's just not as important anymore because he's good. You know, I think that there's also that this, this is a great transition to also, again, looking back into Luke and why he turned to Kronos. Being a demigod, being treated the way he was being treated, he was tired of it. And I think that that's why he went towards Kronos. 
Now, do I think that 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 was the best decision? No. But there is reasoning behind why he did what he did. And I think that it's very fascinating that the more we look into this, the more we realize that demigods have a lot more flaws than we expect. They're not the perfect children of gods and they definitely don't have the easiest of lives. In fact, I think they even have even worse. If you remember in the first book, if you all remember if you all remember in the first book, um the I think one of the very first lines Percy ever says is if you ever think you're a demigod, don't ever ever make certain of it. It's a traumatizing experience and it still is for everybody to this day. And Beth and Percy who are in Tartarus fighting off every single monster they'd ever faced and then the rest of the group traveling to Epirus with fear constantly at their backs, not knowing where Percy and Annabeth are and wondering if they're even going to make it to the doors of death. I think that is a very fascinating way to look at these books. Moving on to the shoutouts and questions. I know that we missed this last time, so I can't wait to do this this time. We're going to do the shoutouts first. We're going to do number one, I'm so cool. Number two, Ahana. Uh, Number three, King Olaf of Cringe. And then number four, the 74th. If I missed anyone, do please let me know and I will try to make you get you guys in in the next episode. Moving on to the questions. Has anyone you know ever read the Percy Jackson series or Heroes Olympus books? Um, yes, I did. I, I, in fact, uh, moving on, uh, it's a follow, the follow-up was how did you find out about the books was from my friends. Uh, all the people I knew, uh, there was a lot of people that I knew that really liked the Percy Jackson series and I myself was a huge fan of Greek mythology so um when I heard about Percy Jackson I wanted to give it a shot and here we are next question is if you could fight any Percy Jackson PJO or Heroes of Olympus villain who would it be um oh it'd probably have to be one of the titans um Let's see. I believe I would probably want to fight the one that... um... Ooh, this is hard. Uh, I want to fight any villain. I think the most interesting one would be to fight... um, One of the Arai. You know, just thinking about it makes me so confused as to how in the world they're going to escape this. Especially with Bob finding out about all you know, about Percy's, you know, what their relation, what their relationship, what his relationship is with Percy. But I think the most interesting one would be DRI. But I think in terms of fighting, I'd probably do one of Kronos's Titans. I feel like in terms of the Titans now versus the Titans Kronos had, it'd be very different to see the fighting style in between that Kronos had basically taught his monsters while Gaia might be teaching some different techniques so we'll see um let's see the next question is who's my least favorite god um or uh, i would probably say um i would probably say it would have to be uh either aries or hera i just think that you know they already, their kids already have it hard enough. And I feel like sometimes when you see them having 
conversations with the demigods. They just enjoy to like making life harder for them, and that's not really cool. So I wouldn't really be happy with that. Um, next question is: Would you rather fight alone or with another demigod? I feel like I would definitely want to fight with another demigod just in terms of strategy alone i think that two two hands are better than one especially when you're fighting such giant titans like how percy and annabeth and the rest of the demigods are doing so i definitely say another demigod and then the next question is what is my favorite color um i'd probably say i don't have a preference but i'd probably say if I were to choose a color, it'd probably be yellow. I like yellow pretty much, but a lot. Um, let's see. Would I rather fight the Titans or would I rather fight Percy? Oh, Titans 100%. Uh, Percy's just on a different level, especially with his water manipulation skills. And then I think he... He's just great in, like, all aspects, and he's still improving, and that's was something that makes him so powerful. So I'd probably rather do Titans. And then, if Rick Riordan ever made a book, the next question, if Rick Riordan ever made a book on the, on Percy and Annabeth's relationship, what would my thoughts be? Um, I think, I think there's, it would be quite interesting to see, because there is obviously some development here because of you see, you know, with Percy and Annabeth spending time together in Tartarus, they're going to, you know, develop their relationship or just see, you know, more commonalities between them, between each other. So I think that it's definitely, I would, I would definitely say that I would like to read it. It's, it would definitely be something that would pique my interest. Um, but yeah, I hope you got that is the end for our Kieran and Q&A session. If you guys have any more questions, do please let me know and I will try my best to answer them in the next episode. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Once again, if you would like to give some uh, extra support, the link to my Patreon is located in the description of my podcast. Totally optional, but would appreciate it if you could maybe take a look at it. Um, Other than that, I don't have any more news. So... I would like to thank you guys for listening to my episode this week. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.